Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. We're here to catch you up on all things health and wellness. So let's get into it. Are you going to spend some time this holiday season with family or friends you haven't seen in a while? Hopefully it'll be a great reunion. But sometimes we notice changes that are concerning. Maybe it's your college student who comes home for winter break and is really thin and preoccupied with food. Or a relative who seems angry all the time. Or a friend who's drinking a lot more than you remember. You want to help, but you're not sure how. Should you say something to them? What are the warning signs that you definitely need to speak up about? We wanted to ask psychologist Seth Gillihan, a clinical assistant professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, for his advice. Dr. Gillihan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. What are some of the signs that a loved one may have had some mental health changes that are concerning? Well, one of the really common ones we'll see is withdrawal. So a person may be withdrawing from friends or from uh, going out of the house. The person might be spending a lot of time in their room or, or on the couch watching TV, things like that. And they may even be withdrawing from from family activities like dinners and such. Things like, like having a hard time meeting obligations. You know, if it's students who seem to be not uh, doing as well as they usually do in college or, you know, maybe just notice a, a change in a person's perspective. It might seem less optimistic, maybe kind of cynical. You know, if it's, if it's not typically who the person is, then it, it's something to pay attention to. And at what point would you recommend that someone speak up about it? Maybe just a few examples of things that you might say, okay, I really need to say something about this problem. Well, some things are certainly concerning, like if the person's use of alcohol or marijuana or other substances seems to to be becoming a problem. That's something obviously to, to pay attention to because it's probably an indication. I mean, it's not a great thing in and of itself, but it probably suggests there's something underlying it that's driving the person's use of those substances. Mm-hmm. If a person really stops taking care of themselves, you know, you notice they're not showering as much, or maybe they're not they're not eating, or they're just eating really uh, poor, a really poor diet, or you know, they may even may even start to kind of smell them to some extent because they're not they're not you know getting regular showers or brushing their teeth. Sure, personal hygiene, not taking care of themselves. Personal, yes, exactly, personal hygiene. And their room is a complete disaster, which again, I mean, certainly not everyone with a messy room has a problem with mental health. But if you notice a change or a real deterioration, then that's, that's a good time to say something. And if I were going to make an error, I would want it to be on the side of caution. It's better, I think, to, to ask to uh, to look into something rather than you know crossing our fingers hoping for the best and and trying to ignore it. And let's talk about how you would have these conversations which I would think would be somewhat difficult. What might be helpful to say and also how about the timing of when you say it to that person? Well, I think both of those are really important and and what you alluded to the difficulty I think is is a really good thing to put into our expectations when we're going to have this kind of this kind of conversation. Assume it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard for for you as the person approaching the person. It's going to be uncomfortable for the person you're talking to. There's probably going to be some some shame involved, which which we can anticipate. First, you know, we, we want to approach the person ideally, you know, privately. These kinds of of like TV show scenes where everyone's going to 
everyone else is going to confer and come up with a plan where they're basically, I mean, they don't say this, but really going to ambush the person and <laughs> staging and an intervention, they staging an intervention. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and you know, there may be cases in which that's helpful. I've never really seen that be the case because person usually if there is a problem is well aware there's a problem is probably trying to hide it already feels bad about it guilty ashamed and now they feel cornered and and like everyone is kind of uh, has been talking about them behind their back and so it really can can push the person farther away which i I think we just have to keep in mind what our goal is our goal is to is to help the person to get the help that they might need because in the end it's up to the person so i think doing it um as as uh as supportively as possible is really important it's it's uh it, it is a confrontation i think unavoidably but it can be done collaboratively rather than the kind of i know i know something's wrong you need to tell me what's wrong more of an invitation i think being as open and honest and direct as possible is good there's so much secrecy and and stigma and shame around mental health issues. And I think that if we approach it kind of obliquely, it can have that feeling of this is very shameful to talk about. And so I think we can just be direct. We can say things like just saying what we notice. You know, I've noticed that you you seem to be staying in your room all the time and, and, you know, your friends are are asking about you and they don't seem to know what's going on. And I'm concerned about you. Can you tell me what's going on? Rather than a kind of, of accusation or or a demand. And then listen. I mean this may be one of the hardest parts, but but really allowing the person to say uh, to describe their perspective without trying to uh, let well, without letting our own anxiety start to um, try to contradict some things they're saying or or rush to to solve things before the person's really been heard. And what if the person denies that there is a problem? Well, that's that's likely and it might it might be true. I mean, at some point the deniability becomes less and less plausible. You know, we may know there's a problem even the person says there isn't, but a lot of times we really don't know and so we we may take that at face value the first time if there are other you know, reasonable explanations. I think a, a couple things. One is, as much as we can, we need to, to, to go into it planning to stay calm and, and taking a long view. So if there is an issue going on, then it's not, it's not likely to be resolved right in that moment. There's a good chance that this will be a, an ongoing process and it may take uh, longer than we would like for the issue to be addressed. And so I think the more we can do to, to stay supportive and to to really communicate the, the truth of the matter that, that it's the person's decision to make, I think then we, we increase chances of ultimately having a good outcome, even if right in the moment we don't get the response they were hoping for. You know, they might not necessarily say, you know what, you're right. I was hoping somebody would ask me, here's what's going on. Can you help me find a therapist? To that point, we, we can't control how someone else responds, but we can brush up on our own skills. What are some of your tips to help people to really listen and be supportive, but without really getting too absorbed in the other person's situation? 
it's not a neutral conversation for us. We care a lot about the outcome. So recognizing we're going to have our own anxiety, making sure that we're uh, taking care of ourselves, uh, getting the support that we need during that time. I think consulting with others you know, in the family or, or professionals can be a good idea, especially if we have questions like, you know, I'm not sure what I'm seeing here. The best we can do is to be a fully present human being. I think there's that this may be a little funny coming from a, a psychotherapist, but I think we often rush to assume that that I need to to get this person into therapy, and that might be necessary. It might it might be helpful, but if if one of the first things that we say is "Do you need therapy?" I think that that usually has uh, at least two two effects we wouldn't want. One is it's a kind of a distancing thing. It immediately suggests you have a problem. It's bigger than anything I could possibly help you with. You need to talk to someone else. And it, it's likely to make the person shut down. It's not going to further the, the dialogue in that moment. Obviously, that's, that may be a good option at some point. But, but really just to listen and to encourage the person that, that you really are there to be supportive. They're not in trouble. They're, uh, they don't, this isn't about them giving an accounting of themselves, like they, they better have a good explanation for this. But, but really, you know, I, I'm concerned about you and how can I help? That's very helpful to keep in mind. Thank you so much, Dr. Gillahan. Heading out of town for the holidays? Before you pack your bags for winter break, you'll want to check out our list of the dirtiest places when you travel. We're not talking about dirt you can see. We mean the bugs and germs that seem to be everywhere this time of year. First up, those big gray bins at security checkpoints in airports. A recent study found that they were the most likely spot in an airport to be tainted with respiratory viruses, the kind that give you a cold or the flu. Think about it. Everyone puts their bags, shoes, belts, laptops, snacks, and more in those bins. Several hundred people could use them in a typical day. And as far as the researchers know, they aren't really regularly disinfected. That same study found some other germy spots, like a plastic toy in a children's playground in the same airport, an escalator handrail, and the buttons you press to pay for something at a shop at the airport. Now, that study was all about airports. Other germy spots you might run into when you travel include elevator buttons, restaurant menus, the TV remote and bedside lamp switch in hotel rooms, soap dispensers, swimming pools, and ATM buttons. Don't get us wrong, you should still go wherever you want to go. Just wash your hands or use a hand sanitizer or wipe after you touch something lots of other people handle. And if you haven't already, get your flu shot. Pecan pie, fudge, even fruitcake if you're into that. This time of year, sweets are everywhere, and most of them are not exactly healthy choices. What do you do when you want to satisfy your sweet tooth but not totally wreck your diet? Stephanie Snipes is part of WebMD's editorial team. She's well-known around the office for her baking skills, and she's here today to talk with us about some of her favorite not-so-bad-for-you sweets. Hey, Stephanie. Hi, Carrie. I guarantee you someone out there is listening to this and thinking, oh, good, lighter desserts, let me guess, fruit and dark chocolate. That seems to be the standard advice you hear on this topic. That's right. And that's what I am always told, just have an apple. And I am just not one of those people who feels like their dessert needs have been met 
by an apple or a handful of blueberries. I'm sure someone is out there who meets that description, I but want, it's it's not me. <laughs> it, exactly. I want to be that person. I strive to be that human, but that is not who I am. I yes. want something that makes me feel like I'm eating dessert, that I'm satisfied, that I don't feel guilty walking away from it, and then I'm good to go. Let's. I'll give you a scenario here. It's a weeknight, you've just gotten home from work, and you've cooked dinner, and you just want a little something that's pretty easy to throw together to get that nice, you know, light dessert. What are some of your go-to choices there? One of my favorite go-to ingredients you can just find in the freezer section of your grocery store, and they're those little mini phyllo cups. Mm-hmm. So you may have seen them. So that's gonna... the little, is that like Greek pastry kind of dough that's a little exactly. crispy? It's super, super thin, so it's layered on top of itself mm-hmm. to give it a super crunchy texture at the end. And you can find them in the freezer section. They're often by... All the good stuff, the puff pastry and the frozen pie shells and all of those things. But these little guys, you can have three or four of them and the numbers are great. So then I focus on what to fill them with and the sky's kind of the limit. It's it's really, once you have kind of a base idea, you can do anything you want. So one of the things I use a lot is Greek yogurt. Oh, okay. So you can take Greek yogurt, sweeten it with some honey or agave or stevia, whatever your preferred sweetener is of choice, or you can even buy just whatever kind of yogurt you love. So if you have a brand of yogurt that you eat for breakfast, it would be really great in this presentation. Hmm, that's interesting. You can use it as is, or you can bump up the flavor. And for me, when I'm eating a healthy dessert, I want as much flavor as possible. Yes, pack a lot into a small bite. Exactly. You want it to stand out and mean something. So I often add zests of oranges, lemons, or limes, which is the most flavorful part of the fruit. So you get more orange flavor from the zest than you do the orange itself. So you can use that. You can add in some of the juice as well, and then you're really going to have something that has a huge flavor. And when you, if you have, if you use something like an orange that's naturally sweet, you might not need to add honey. You might not need to add agave. It could be enough. So just taste as you go. Sure. Till you get it to that flavor that you really like. Sounds great. And then you just fill the little cups and you can top it with a bunch of things. Sometimes I will throw on like three or four pistachios. You can even get some really good um, whipped topping now. They have almond milk varieties. Hmm. They have Um, There's some brands that are made with all natural ingredients, so you're not adding chemicals to the mix, but it it does give that wonderful whipped cream feel and taste. That feels fancy. That sounds like it's super indulgent. It's like a little one-bite pie. Some of my favorite flavor combinations are using Greek yogurt with some honey, orange zest, and the pistachios like we talked about, which is really delicious. You can even do a chocolate low-fat pudding with some whipped topping, and then sometimes I'll sprinkle a little bit of cinnamon and a touch of cayenne. Hmm. So you have that Mexican hot chocolate, chocolate. kind of feel, right. and those are things that are in your pantry. This End-to-end, this takes like 10 minutes. There's not much to it. So another one of my favorites is actually a base of waffles. You start Ooh, with your, for dessert. For dessert. Hmm. So you're going to start with any kind of like whole grain waffle or high protein waffle. Again, the variety that you can get in your grocery store is pretty incredible now. So look for something along those lines. There's a lot of really great ones. The calories aren't bad. And then top it with your favorite low sugar, high protein ice cream. Just put a scoop on top. And then I take whatever your favorite jam flavor is. So anything that you like that's going to go well with the ice cream that you chose. 
and just heat it up with a little bit of water and it's going to loosen it up and then you can use it as a sauce on top. Okay. So it's kind of like a waffle sundae. Wow. And I am really excited about this next one on your list, brulee oranges with vanilla yogurt. Yes. This is a go-to for me. I do it a lot. I do it for breakfast sometimes because what you're essentially going to do is take segments of oranges and you're going to put about a quarter teaspoon, so not much at all, brown sugar on top of the segments, Mm -hmm. so a quarter teaspoon on each, and put it under the broiler. Just a couple minutes, and again, your broiler's going to heat up fast. It doesn't take long. Keep a really close eye on it so it doesn't burn, but you're going to get that effect like creme brulee where you get kind of the crackle of the sugar. The crunchy top, that's right. Mm -hmm. And some of the juices are also going to come out. And then you're going to put some of those segments with that juice in a bowl, a little of your favorite vanilla yogurt. And then I like to add even a sprinkling of granola or some nuts, something to give it a little crunch. Wow. And fresh mint, if you have it, throw it in there. Chop it up, throw it in there. It adds a nice little freshness, too. That sounds so fancy, but it, uh, it sounds like it takes very little time. It takes, I mean, maybe 10 minutes. It's really fast. And then serve it in a pretty glass. Serve it in something lovely, which is going to really amp it up and make it feel like you a special You feel dessert. like you're eating a nice dessert. Exactly. That's great. Well, we're right in the middle of the holiday season, and... Most of the desserts people turn to this time of year are heavy on the chocolate, heavy on the nuts and the frosting, all of the high-calorie stuff. The good stuff. The good stuff, yes. of course. <laughs> Not good for your waistline sometimes. Um, what are some treats that have a bit of a wow factor but are still on the healthier side or on the lighter side? So one thing I like to do, and these are something that's going to take a smidge more time, so it is good for those special occasions, one is stuffing wonton wrappers. So you can get wonton wrappers in your, usually they're in the produce section of your grocery store. And I think people often think of them as a savory element. Right. A lot of people use them to make homemade ravioli if you don't want to make pasta. There's lots of great things to do with them. But you can also turn them into dessert. And so what I like to do is take a little bit of low-fat cream cheese or even a part skim ricotta cheese, Hmm. which is used in a lot of desserts. Mm -hmm. And again, you want to sweeten that up. So you could add whatever your preferred sweetener is. It won't necessarily take a long time to do it. And then you are going to, the wonton's square. You're going to basically put a dollop of that cream cheese in the middle and fold it from corner to corner to make a triangle, seal it shut, and then you're going to bake that in the oven for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And what's gonna happen is that wonton's gonna crisp up and your filling's gonna get nice and warm and creamy. And then again, you can go to those, I like orange marmalade for this a lot, a thinned out orange marmalade as a drizzle on top. You could even take your jam, jelly, marmalade, whatever you wanna use and put it inside with the cream cheese as well. So it's another alternative. And if you pick something like a strawberry jelly or jam that's gonna be a little sweeter, then you wouldn't necessarily need to add honey or other ingredients to sweeten it up. I think the biggest thing is to just taste as you go. The next item you've got on your list is a granita. Yes. Which is, I've I've sort of heard of, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. Describe it for us. So it's definitely not something that you would naturally probably think about making at home. I don't think a lot of people just sit around going, I can't wait to make my next granita. (laughs) However, it's a really great um, and easy thing to make that, again, can have a wow factor and pop or bring in a lot of flavor. So essentially what it is, is it's kind of adult shaved ice. Okay. 
So what you do is you take a, your, whatever fruit that you like, and you can Google recipes for this, and you'll find lots of really great ones. But you're going to take some fruit, some water. In granitas, it's typical to use your standard white sugar, and there's a reason for that because there's some chemistry happening. Okay. But my suggestion is pick a really sweet fruit. So, for instance, lemon granita is delicious, but you're going to have to add a lot of sugar that, to that so it doesn't taste super tart. That's right. So if you're really watching it, make sure to pick something that is, again, naturally sweet. So some berries would be good, oranges would be good, anything along those lines. You can even use peaches and cook down some peaches. Whatever fruit you like will work great. And then you basically just turn that into fruit water. I mean, that's essentially what you're making is mm -hmm. fruit water. Okay. Then you pour it into like a 13 by 9 like pan. Casserole dish or something. Any casserole, anything like that will work. Stick it in the freezer. And what's going to happen is as it starts to freeze, as it starts to crystallize and become ice, you go in with a fork and you scrape. So every little while you go in over the course of the next couple of hours and scrape and scrape and scrape and it turns it into kind of like dessert snow. And then I love to serve it in a martini glass. What are some things that you keep around your kitchen so you can quickly pull together a satisfying dessert that's not too bad for you? I feel like a lot of the packaged dessert options that you'd find in the grocery store are pretty much a no-go. Even, even though they're very fast and easy, there's lots of sugar and salt and fat and other things. What are some of the things that you keep around so you can quickly pull something together? Well, first, I'm going to start with a couple um, tools that I love. A microplane zester is a godsend. I use it in so many ways in my kitchen and especially in desserts. And that's how you're going to get the zest off of your fruit, which is critical. If you aren't familiar with it, it's basically a rasp grater with a bunch of little teeth in it. And those teeth are really, really sharp. So it takes minimal effort to just scrape it along your fruit and it's going to pull the zest right off. You can use it on chocolate too. So. Hmm. If you had a little block of chocolate or a little chocolate bar, putting it on your microplane is going to create essentially chocolate snow. And so you can adorn your desserts with just a tiny bit of chocolate to make it look pretty. And then it doesn't add a lot of calories either. Still got that flavor, though. Still got the flavor. The other thing I love with my microplane is to get fresh nutmeg. Using it fresh is best because you're going to get the most flavor. So you would just scrape that on your microplane, and again, you'd get a little snowfall of nutmeg and whatever you're making. Wow, that sounds great. Which also can be pretty on top of things or add a lot of flavor. If you're making those phyllo cups and you want to add, you're using a vanilla low-fat pudding, add some nutmeg to that. It's going to be delicious. It sounds delicious. Lots of uses for that zester, it sounds like. What else uh, do you keep around? Definitely pretty dishes. Yes. So... When you're eating a low-fat dessert or you are a dieter like I have been pretty much my whole life, portion sizes are definitely something you have to pay attention to. A lot of people eat their meals on giant plates or in giant bowls. And if your portion size is small and you're doing it in a giant dish, then it feels unsatisfying before you've even taken a bite. So I like to have a beautiful dish so it feels fancy, and I want it to scale to make sure that whatever I'm putting in it feels big and luxurious. So putting that granita in a martini glass is going to make you feel like you're getting a huge, satisfying dessert, and it's fancy because it's a martini glass. That's right. It feels I, special. Absolutely. I do a lot of things in wine glasses or get beautiful little ramekins. So again, it feels like I'm eating an entire dish of this dessert, but really that serving size is in control. 
Spices are also really good to keep on hand. So cinnamon, nutmeg, clove are some of my go-tos because they pack a lot of flavor. You're going to get a lot of bang for your buck with barely any consequences from a calorie perspective. A great vanilla because anything can be amped up with vanilla. So having that on hand. And then two things I always love to have, and you can get these either in your grocery store or on Amazon, is orange blossom water and rose water. Ooh, how would you use those? So you can use these to flavor just about anything. So they would be great in your granita base. They're great mixed into your base for your phyllo cups. They would be delicious in the cream cheese that you're stuffing inside your wonton. The sky's the limit, really. You just have to be a little bit careful because if you overuse either one of those, your dessert tastes like soap. Ah, And we don't want it to taste like soap. Right. But just a <laughs> splash of it can add such delicious, exotic flavors, and it's no effort. You just yeah. put a couple drops in, and you're good to go. Well, now I am really more, even more excited than usual to eat dessert. So good. <laughs> lots of great ideas. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. If you're looking for even more ideas on healthier solutions for dessert, check out the link in our show notes. Now for our tweak of the week. Avoid sugar before bed. Just in time for those cookie swaps you may be heading to. Getting too much sugar before bed can rev you up when you want to wind down. If you need a nighttime snack, try low-sugar cereal or plain oatmeal instead. That's all for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time.